0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sake Revolution. This is America's very first sake podcast. I'm your host, John Puma, from the Sake Notes, also the administrator at the Internet Sake Discord, and the the local sake otaku in this here
1: podcast. And I am your host, Timothy Sullivan. I'm a sake samurai, I'm a sake educator, and I'm also the founder of the Urban Sake website. And every week... John and I will be here tasting and also chatting about all things sake, and doing our best to make it fun and easy to understand. What's been going
0: on? We, what do we What do we want to talk about this
1: week? Well, we haven't been deep in the education corner for a while, so <laughs> I thought
0: it's got it's gotten a little dusty. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh,
1: well, I think I think it might be fun to. Uh, dive into a little education again this week. And there's one subject that I noticed we haven't talked about a lot on the show yet. And that is the subject of charcoal filtering.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it, it, it is not something we, I believe we, we very briefly, very briefly touched on it in our first series on sake production. There were so many other things that we were talking about that I, I I feel like we really didn't go to too much depth on what exactly filtering brings to the table and and what are the options mm. like what what even is sake filtering why why are we filtering
1: yeah and there even beyond that there's all this confusion between pressing and filtering so when someone says filtering a lot of people think of what we usually call pressing which is you know we did a whole series on pressing separating the alcohol from all that leftover rice the main mash so in sake parlance we usually call that pressing or squeezing the mash and then a step after that is what you just called filtering and i usually call this charcoal filtering to be clear that we're not talking about the pressing step but uh, there's a few variations on this filtering step and the type of sake you're going to get out the other end Changes based on how you or if you do this charcoal filtering.
0: Hmm. Okay. So um so all right. So you mentioned there is charcoal filtering. Is there a special name for charcoal filtering, or is that just the de facto at this point?
1: Well, the Japanese word for this is roka. 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 Okay. Um that's the filtering process. And there's a few different ways you can do it. And well, first we should talk about why you want to do it, and uh, that's a good it, that's
0: a good point. So, so yeah. we've got our sake, we pressed it. Why are we filtering?
1: it? Yeah, well, there is very very small particulate that is left in the sake after pressing.
0: Mm-hmm. So when
1: you press with one of those machines, or you do the drip method, or whichever one you're doing. The sake is going through basically a fabric, and even if it has a tight weave, there's little bits of, little tiny bits of rice and the microorganisms, the yeast, and any bacteria that might be in there can get through, the enzymes can get through, and any other tiny little particulates that might be in there. So we have to deal with that very, very small, almost not visible to the naked eye particulate size. And you know, everyone has a Brita water filter at home, right? (laughs) A lot of people do. And if you break open one of those Brita filter, that's like a capsule. Yeah, there's like a, you buy these capsules and you rip it out of a little plastic bag and you you soak it in water. If you open that thing up, it's filled with this dark powder, which is actually activated carbon or what we can also call charcoal. And it's it's like uh, going to capture that micro particle so that's it also does it in water when you use it like a brita filter to charcoal filter your water Mm -hmm. we're doing basically the same thing with the sake after it's been pressed
0: and if i'm not mistaken like when you first get your when you first replace your brita filter and they have you run water through a little bit you're you're gonna see those like little bits Mm. of that of that charcoal coming out. And that's that's why they want you to flush it first. So that doesn't actually get into your water. So it's the same concept is what you're telling me. It's the same idea as what we see from
1: these filters that we use at home every day. Yeah, same basic idea. And kind of two questions: How does it work? Like, why why charcoal and not peanut butter? Or you know, like why why charcoal? <laughs> well, I feel like the peanut butter is going to lend some
0: flavor. I like that you chose that as the option, though.
1: <laughs> and the other, the, uh, so why charcoal? And then, uh, what is the effect after you do it? If you skip right. it or you do it, what? Well, how is it going to affect the outcome? So first, let me just tell you briefly why activated carbon or this charcoal is used. If you were to take a microscope and zoom in really, really close to this material, it would have a lot of nooks and crannies. And I always think about like the surface of an English muffin, you know, like all those little <laughs> pockets. Okay. And, and what happens is when you put this material into a liquid and then filter it out, those little nooks and crannies capture and absorb little bits of rice and all those little particulates that we want to get out. So it's a way to kind of absorb them and then filter them out. So it's a very interesting process, the way that this material actually gets those microparticles out of there.
0: Hmm. That's that. That is interesting. Okay. So, so we now know the how,
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Why? So, you know, you, <laughs> you yeah, know. Like, we, so we do this with our drinking water because we don't trust our tap water. <laughs> so right. what is going on with the sake that has been meticulously brewed and has been really, you know, well taken care of every step of the way guys go back and listen to how many times we wash the rice. <laughs> Why are we now going to filter it at the end with, the, with this product?
1: Well, you can clarify the sake even more. There's Mm. a debate in the sake industry whether this charcoal filtering step is needed, if it's necessary, and if it improves the sake or detracts from the sake. And
0: so there's still, this is still a debate. This is an ongoing.
1: Yeah, it's an ongoing evolution. And for people who like sake that is super crystal clear, like diamond crystal clear. Mm -hmm. then you're going to want to charcoal filter your sake pretty aggressively. And that is the style, for example, in Niigata. Light, clean, Mm -hmm. super crisp, and sparkly bright, clear. And other parts of Japan have a more rustic style, and they might skip this charcoal filtering step. And that adds a little bit of extra dimension to the flavor, like all the uh, very, very fine super small particulate that you've got this hanging out in the sake and it adds a dimension to the flavor that you don't have with the charcoal filtered version. So is that good? Is that bad? It's all a question of where you're coming from and what you want in your end product.
0: Mm. So say if you perhaps wanted your sake style to be, I don't know, a little crazy, you might (laughs) want to, uh, add add this additional factor, is little x factor of not f- fully filtering it to see what that brings to the table and th- is that yeah. you know how much is, does that really influence the flavor
1: mm, i think it's subtle i think mm-hmm. it's subtle the particulates we're talking about are super super tiny to microscopic so okay. uh, it it's a subtle impact i think but one other reason to carefully charcoal filter your sake to do this Roka step is because there's a potential that you could get bacteria in there that could spoil your sake. So Mm -hmm. doing this step is also a little bit of insurance against the possibility that any stray bacteria got in there. And it's a way to guard against that type of spoilage in your sake, which is rare, but can happen.
0: I see, I see. So you're adding kind of just a you're not taking any chances and you're 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 gonna do this step so that you know the odds are of getting any kind of uh, unwanted change to the flavor is reduced.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's right. And some breweries there's there's kind of a third way as well. Some breweries do filter their sake, but they do it without the activated carbon or, or the charcoal, that black powder, oh. they just run their sake through a physical micron filter. A so physical a,
0: micron filter. Like what is, a, what exactly is that entail? Well,
1: it's like a filter. Um, if you imagine like straining your pasta, when you pour out your pasta, you have a colander. <laughs> that's, and, that's
0: not a really great filter. To... <laughs>
1: <laughs> the water goes through your colander. But imagine that, the holes in your sieve that you were using were mm-hmm. a few microns across. Oh, all right. All so right that makes a little it, more sense, then. Yeah. <laughs> so um, some breweries just use a physical filter, very, very, very small, but that also filters out some of this particulate. So the traditional way to do it is with the uh, putting the activated carbon powder in there, but you can also just run it through a physical filter as well, and you can also just skip this step altogether. So there's like three three ways you can go with this question of this microparticulate in your sake. All
0: right, so that's awesome, and uh, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I totally get why we might do this. Totally get why we might not do this. Um, and we talked about the name attached to the charcoal filtering. What about when we're not charcoal filtering?
1: Yeah, well, if you're not charcoal filtering, you skip that step, but it does impact what we call the sake that comes out of that process. So if you just press it and then go on with your production without the charcoal filtering, that's called muroka. Mm. So we got the muroka. roka in there, but it's called muroka. Yeah. Oh. And if you use the physical filter without the charcoal powder, that's called suroka. which is, Suroka. Yeah.
0: So suroka is really tiny colander yes (laughs) um and then we've got charcoal and then muroka none of the above
1: right muroka (laughs) is no fine particulate filtering at all the default process is the charcoal filtering so that's just Mm. regular old sake but Uh if if you skip the charcoal filtering that type of sake is known as muroka and if you do the physical filter without the charcoal powder, that is suroka. Uh-huh.
0: So we, so the default is just the charcoal filtering. I think that's just big charcoal getting in there and influencing policy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I actually I heard a funny story about how this was all discovered, how this came about. You all know, right, adding ash or carbon or charcoal, to sake and then filtering it out. There's this legendary story in the sake industry that there was a sake kurabito, a sake brewery worker, who was really unhappy with his job, and he was super mad at his employer. And to get back at him, he grabbed up some charcoal, and he threw it into a vat of finished sake. And it turned <laughs> pitch black. The sake turned black. And the brewers were like, oh my gosh, he ruined our sake. So they filtered it out and the sake came out even clearer than before. And they're like, hey, maybe something's going on. So the legend in the sake industry is that this charcoal filtering is the result of a sabotage attempt by an angry brewery worker. That's pretty good. I
0: like this story. That's pretty good. That is uh I like that one. That's uh that's not bad. I hope it's true. That sounds like <laughs> sounds great. I really want this to be a fact.
1: <laughs> yeah, so John, you've heard Muroka before, right?
0: Yeah. Uh in my travels, I typically see the word Muroka accompanied very closely by the word Nama. Yes. And I guess if you're not pasteurizing your sake, you're probably a little less concerned about the bacteria that might get in there from, from not having a filtration process, and you want to be a little bit more raw. You want that 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 variable in there. Uh, yes. Would you say that's why they do it?
1: Yeah. Nama means raw. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't make sense to not really pasteurize and then strip all this additional layering of flavor out by doing that aggressive charcoal filtering. So Muroka, Nama and Genshu often go together.
0: Mm. Yeah. yeah. That's, I definitely, definitely a recipe for the crazy style.
1: <laughs> it can be, or, or it can also be subtle as well. Yeah. There's a few Muroka flying under the radar yeah. that are Muroka, but not advertised as such. Mm. So they're out there.
0: They are out there. Well, um, I hope we have some examples of sakes that have or have not been filtered today. <laughs> this is great. Well, one way or the other, we're going to get, you know, it's going yes. to cover it.
1: <laughs> yeah, we've got a 100% chance of success. <laughs> yes,
0: absolutely. <laughs> Tim, what did you bring today?
1: Well, I picked up one of those under-the-radar murokas. Mm. So the sake that I picked is not charcoal filtered. So it is a muroka and it's also a nama chozo. So it is once pasteurized only. So we're not fully in the muroka nama, but we're, we're half, we have one foot into the, the world of nama.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, the sake that I brought today is Watari Bune 55 Junmai Ginjo.
0: Ooh, that is a tasty sake, Tim.
1: Oh, you've had it before. I have. This is one of my all-time favorite sake. It is so <laughs> That's <good>. awesome. <laughs> yes. So, spoiler alert. I think I'm going to like this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm a little jealous. So, for the people at home, this episode is actually being recorded via Zoom, so I will not get to taste Tim's delicious sake. Uh, but Tim will also not get to taste my delicious sake i'm going to mention what it is and then we'll go in depth on each one really fast so i brought the um emishiki sensation white label now this is a relatively new one to the states it's one of those sakes that i've had in japan and was very excited when i saw that it was uh, coming out uh, for purchase here i think right now it's only on the west coast all you west coast people go out and get it if you uh if you if you like what i have to say about it but back to this watari bune. One of Tim's favorite sakes. is uh, tell us a little bit about it.
1: Yeah. Well, the brewery name is Huchu Homare Shuzo mm-hmm. and the president is Takaaki Yamauchi and they're located in Ibaraki. And there's one really unique thing about the sake before we get into all the other stats is that the rice is called Watari Bune. And this sake is named after the rice they used to make it. Now, this Watari Bune rice is basically rice that was extinct for a long time mm. and fell out of common use and Mr. Yamauchi was able to locate some seeds at the prefectural seed bank and restored this rice and it took him 3 years to grow enough to be able to make his first batch of sake using this rice so this is a restored rice that was abandoned and he brought it back to life and it is now really well known in ibaraki ken and this sake is the sake that made that happen so really cool story with the rice related to this Uh, as i mentioned before it's a junmai ginjo this watari bune is polished down to 55 percent remaining Mm -hmm. The sake meter value is plus three. The alcohol is 15.5. And as I mentioned, this is also a muroka and a nama chozo. Mm. Yes. So, John, why don't you tell us the stats for your emishiki? So, yes, the emishiki sensation white.
0: They have a couple of different types of these. They have the white, black, and a couple of others. And this is a junmai. Emishiki is also the name of the sake brewery itself, so it's the yeah. uh, Emishiki Sake Brewery, and it is in Shiga, Japan. This uh, sake uses local rice, what they say, and it is milled down to 50%, though. So you're getting a mm-hmm. junmai made with local rice, which is usually like not not a very fancy sake rice, Tim. Is that mm-hmm. usually what happens when, yeah. it's, when it's labeled as local rice? But they took it and milled it all the way down to 50 which I find very interesting and probably yeah. going to be a little different. Um, the nihonshudo, that measure of dryness to sweetness, is minus five. So I'm expecting some sweetness here. And the acidity is
1: 1.6. Well, that sounds sensational.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I need a minute after that. That's yeah.
1: uh, oh.
0: <laughs> My first um, instinct would be age. Or something like that.
1: So Mm, clarifying
0: that and saying, you know, it does not always mean that. This could just be, could just be, you know, a little bit, uh, a little bit Morocco.
1: Yeah. If you leave sake on its own, if you run it through a press and just leave it alone and you look at it in a tank, it has quite a yellowish greenish color to it naturally. So when you see sakes that, as I mentioned before, are super crystal clear that is a strong indication that they've gone through that. All right, Tim. Let's get to tasting.
0: Yes. Yeah, and since you've got the, well, you've got the Maroka, do you want to go the first? Maroca. Or who's a control? Yes. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go first. All, All right.
1: right. All right. So we have. Just a hint of color, and that's something that is important to talk about with muroka in particular, because those micro particles that are in sake that do not get charcoal filtered, those can discolor over time, and they can lend just a wisp of color to a sake. So when you see a sake that has a little bit of a yellow or a golden haze to it, don't assume automatically that it's... Uh, light shocked or spoiled by overexposure to the sun or something like that. Mm-hmm. It can be that it's a morocco style sake and it has just a very, very small amount of fine particulate and that can lend that color. So I'm noticing that here just a little bit very, very, very uh, subtly. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give this a smell. Mmm. That smells good. <laughs> <laughs> A fruity, bright, really lovely aroma. There's some melon going on, a little bit of peach as well, and just really lovely. Not much rice aroma, um, mainly focusing on the the fruity aspects, um, but good depth, not too weak, and uh, really engaging. So very, very beautiful. And let's give it a taste Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So this has a really nice round melon flavor on the on the palate. Mm. Beautiful finish, and the texture is so silky smooth. This is uh, so drinkable, so approachable, really food friendly, and I think for those of you that have the John Puma style palate and you want that sake to relax on the couch with, I think we found another candidate, John.
0: <laughs> oh, that's that is that's, that's my wheelhouse. That's where I'm yep. at. <laughs>
1: yeah. Isn't it ironic that I ended up with this Maroka? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, normally, I mean, I'm all about nigata sake, super clean, and those are all charcoal filtered up the wazoo. So this is a uh, different... Uh, vector for me this is a different style of sake than my usual go-to but i love it it a is different so... a
0: different style of sake than usual go-to we're 10 months into the year everybody and tim <laughs> still going outside of his comfort zone yes
1: <laughs> i'm going out of my comfort zone with this fruity silky smooth <laughs> <laughs> well you know Maroka. it's a Maroka. that's about it <laughs>
0: I'd yeah. say it was very far from your comfort zone, <laughs> slightly, you know, slightly outside.
1: I can see my comfort zone from here. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, oh my gosh, this is a crowd pleaser. This is so easy to enjoy and just really, really nice. A beautiful June Mike And it just goes to show you, I think if I blind tasted this sake, I would say, oh, this has to be Yamada Nishiki or something like that, because Mm. that rice is traditionally used for this type of really uh, fruity and engaging flavor. Uh, But Watari Bune is the curveball here, that rice that has been brought back from the brink and uh, really delicious. And I did get a chance to visit this brewery. And uh, this was over ten years ago. But and of course, met, you have. I met with um, <laughs> <laughs> I met with the president, and uh, it was it's a beautiful place, very very old building as well, and uh, just a great dedication to the uh, production that they do there. So, if you get a chance, you got to try the Swatari Bune. All right, so that ties it up for me, John. All you ready right. to give yours a taste? I
0: am ready to to open up the uh, Emishki Sensation, the white label. All right, so, oh look at that, it's crystal clear. The roka process works, ladies and gentlemen, and the nose has some white wine, like mm. that that white wine acidity almost. All right, so. The flavor here, not quite the the melon bomb that you've got going mm. on over there, mm. but there is a nice amount of fruit here. And have another sip. Mm-hmm. It's nice and soft and round. There's a really nice acidity on the finish that I really enjoy. It's a it's a nice gentle kind of. You know, relaxing sake. This, this can also have a place on the couch. Um,
1: <laughs> You're not going to kick it off the couch?
0: Not going to kick us off the couch. I, I, can, <laughs> I can sip some of this on the couch. But it is, it is just really soft and light. And then that little acidity bite at the end, it's really like a nice little journey. It has like a, a brightness to it, I guess, from that acidity.
1: Mm, yeah. What about the sweetness, the residual sugar in there?
0: Until you reminded me, I forgot that it that this is a minus five. Minus five. <laughs> it's, I I think that you know we see that minus five, and that's technically exactly what the density of the sake reflects. But, you know, it's balanced in such a way that it's not it's not really sweet, or at least it's not mm. presenting as really sweet to me. Mm. There is like a hint of sweetness in here. It's very nice, but it's not. That noticeable.
1: Yeah. Well, that just goes to show you, you can't go all in. You can't bet the house on that SMV number. No. You know, it's one factor. It measures the density of the sake. It's one factor that could help you zero in on a possible sweetness or dryness profile. But there's other factors that play a role. So you can't always rely on that number. So this is a really good uh, case in point for that. Mm -hmm. You know, what's interesting, like you and I both tasted our sakes and we did not talk about the sweetness or dryness out of the gate. Mm. That means it's in balance between sweet and dry. And going back to my sake for a second, I feel that that is totally the case. Mm. You know, it's not coming off as sweet or dry. It's a perfect blend of the two. So that aspect of the sake, when you taste, just doesn't jump out at you for me. The texture is much more prominent. texture is super silky and, you know, really, really smooth. And that makes a great first impression. And the flavor profile, the fruitiness, is also something that jumps out. So when you're tasting sake, there's going to be those things that don't jump out at you, but you always want to make a point to think about those as well. They could just be so in balance or so in the background that you may not notice them. Yeah, and that was like you
0: mentioned exactly what happened with me. I I just completely forgot mm. that this was supposed to be "quote unquote" sweet. You know, I was and, on the I was on the edge of my seat waiting. <laughs> it's just it's not. It's it's just it's well balanced. It's really good stuff, and I think that's like one of the challenges of crafting really good sake is having that balance, and that that's where all mm. the years of knowledge pay off. That's what you're working towards.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And we don't want to say that a sake that's overtly dry or really, really sweet is a bad sake. Not Mm -hmm. at all. No, no, no. But those are crafted to be that way on purpose. And this one is aiming to highlight another part of the sake, or yours is aiming to highlight a different part of the sake. And so they're going really integrated and really balanced with that residual sugar. Yeah. So charcoal filtering is a subtle step. I think we can agree on that.
0: Yes, influence-wise. I don't think it's nearly as overt as a lot of the other factors like Nama. And I think it's a little more like when we talked about Genshu. that Genshu brings some subtle changes to sake depending on what the brewer's intent was. Right. That is uh, is how I'm viewing the, the Muroka versus Roka debate.
1: <laughs> so where do you fall in this great Muroka debate? Are you a charcoal filter guy or are you uh... – Skip it,
0: guy. Well, well, in my when it comes to my water, I'm definitely a charcoal filter guy. (laughs) Okay. Um, Having said that, when it comes to my sake, it really just depends on the sake. Like, Mm. I think that with a skilled brewer, you're gonna get the outcome that they're looking to get, and you're gonna have a great time either way. You know, I think that I don't think there's a there's a clear answer to like oh like Morocco is clearly you know, superior, just like there's no answer on like, you know, well, not everything should be a Nama. It makes right. different, different styles, make different flavors. And I want to have all of these different flavors and experience it all.
1: That's a very diplomatic answer. Have you ever thought I, about <laughs> politics?
0: <laughs> I, I just want to experience a whole lot of different sake. I don't think it's a, I don't
1: think that was yeah. entirely
0: diplomatic, but no, uh, think, in, just in case right. I do, just in case I do want to get into politics, Tim, what do you think? turn the question around that's yeah that's
1: politics (laughs) yeah what you said Uh, (laughs) damn (laughs) yeah no i i I couldn't agree with you more i think that variety is the spice of life when it comes to sake and we want some super super clear some a little more depth of flavor and the more varieties the better i think that's the way to go (laughs) excellent John, it was super fun tasting with you again. Sorry to uh, have one of your favorite sake styles in front of me and you not being able to taste it, but the shoe's going to be on the other foot before you know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> save some for
0: me and we'll, uh, we'll exchange. I'll, I'll let you have some of my energy uh, right. in you. Let me have some of that with Bune and we'll call it even.
1: That is a deal. All right. Well, thanks so much. And I want to also thank our listeners for tuning in. We really do hope that you're enjoying our show. If you'd like to show your support for Sake Revolution, one really great way to help us out is to back us on Patreon. We are a listener-supported show, and all the monies we receive from our Patreon supporters help us defray all the costs that go into producing, editing, and getting a podcast out there each and every week.
0: That is right. We do appreciate each and every one of you out there. Um, everybody who donates, everybody who listens, everybody who tells their friends and leaves us a rating on iTunes or their podcast platform of choice. All of these things really do uh, make a difference and it does really help us. And, you know, we also like, we just like that you guys like to listen to our show and listen to our, our banter. Right, Tim?
1: Right. Absolutely. And as always, if you would like to learn more about any of the topics or the sakes we talked about in today's episode, be sure to visit our website, sakerevolution.com, for all the detailed show notes. And we
0: know for a fact that you have sake questions that you need to have answered. And we have an email address that we would like you to send those questions to. It helps us get ideas for episodes and stuff like that. And it's a lot of fun. That email address is feedback at sakerevolution.com. So, until next time, please remember to keep drinking sake and kanpai. kanpai!